Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Kingdom. This is Anthony Buzzard inviting you again to investigate the Scriptures with us for a few moments as we proceed with our discussion of Jesus' famous and favorite topic, the Gospel of the Kingdom of God. As someone has rightly said, the whole Christian faith is summarized in that magnificent term, Kingdom of God. That was the message that drove the entirety of Jesus' mission. The genius of our Christian faith is summed up in that concept, the Kingdom of God. It was a well-known term in first century Palestinian Judaism. Every Jew who was involved with the Bible and the religion and the national hope of his country knew that the Kingdom of God was a good time coming on the earth when the Messiah would deliver Israel from its enemies and the Messiah would rule in a period and era of unparalleled prosperity in which the lion and the lamb and the bear and the poisonous snakes and so on would coexist happily and that freedom and that harmony existing in nature would be reflected also on the human scene and nations would beat their swords into plowshares and not learn the art of war anymore. That certainly is what Jesus would have meant by his famous phrase, the kingdom of God, and he exhorted people then, as he continues to exhort us today, to repent in view of the coming in the future of that kingdom of God. Mark 1, 14 and 15 is in fact a summary of the Christian faith. Repent, turn away from your old ways, your old ideas, give up your practices which are contrary to the will of God, and believe and commit yourself to the good news coming from God via Jesus about the kingdom of God. In Matthew 24, Jesus gave an interesting summary of events to be expected as a countdown to the arrival of this future kingdom, the glory of the kingdom at the second coming of Jesus. In the records of Jesus' teaching, he only once actually used the name Daniel, naming the prophet by name. Nevertheless, the teachings of Jesus taken as a whole are deeply rooted not only in the Hebrew Bible, in the Old Testament as a whole, but particularly in the book of Daniel. It was in the book of Daniel, chapter 7, that he found the famous title, Son of Man, which he used of himself so frequently. The Son of Man was to be the person arriving from heaven as a supernatural human being coming to rule on the earth. That, of course, will be true of Jesus at his second coming. The Son of Man was not someone arriving from heaven before his birth. It was a supernatural human person who had been elevated to the right hand of the Father, as Jesus now has, and arriving in power and glory to establish the kingdom. Daniel 7.27 plainly says that the kingdom under the whole heaven will be given to the people of the saints of the Most High, and they will reign with the Messiah. The kingdom will be theirs, all nations and all tongues and all languages, all kindreds, all peoples of the earth will serve and obey them. That's to say the saints, and particularly Jesus as the chief saint, as the representative and head of a body of saints, in the New Testament known as the body of Christ. In Daniel 2 verse 44 we find the great passage about the setting up of the kingdom following the demise and the shattering of the Gentile kingdoms which preceded. You remember the head of the image was Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, and there were other kingdoms to follow. But at the end of that sequence of four Gentile rules, we come to the great kingdom set up under the whole heaven. 
It fills the entirety of the earth, Daniel 2.35, and it will in fact be the God of heaven's kingdom. The God of heaven will set up a kingdom on the earth, that is, and that will be the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. Not, I hasten to add, a kingdom in heaven, removed from this planet, but a kingdom established on the renewed earth, on this planet, renewed and restored as it will be when Christ returns. And so Jesus derived his favorite self-title, his favorite self-designation, Son of Man, from Daniel chapter 7, and particularly verse 13. He derived the whole idea of the kingdom of God, not only from many passages in the prophets, but quite expressly and particularly from Daniel chapter 2, and of course from Daniel chapter 7. Now when Jesus came to speak of a countdown of events destined to occur before his arrival, in the future, to set up the kingdom of God, he alluded quite expressly to the book of Daniel. I'm referring here to a famous passage in Matthew chapter 24, the great Olivet Discourse, the anchor of all Bible prophecy. In Matthew 24 and verse 15, Jesus said this, When you therefore see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Matthew 24, verse 15. It's always important, of course, to examine the context of any given verse that you hear preached on radio or by way of sermon in any form. And the context of this famous statement about the abomination of desolation is in Matthew 24. At the beginning of that chapter, you remember that the disciples had asked Jesus, what will be the sign of your coming? When will these buildings be destroyed? When will the temple site be ruined? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And I hasten to point out that end of the world is a misleading translation there. The Greek simply means the end of this era, the end of the age, leading to the future age of the kingdom of God. It's nothing to do with the destruction of our planet, as you might imagine from that rather misleading translation, end of the world. The King James Version of the Bible, with all of its glory and merits, is not an infallible translation. It has serious mistakes here and there. As probably do all translations, a balance will be gained by using different translations and comparing one with the other, and searching out doubtful points by reference to commentaries and so on. What will be the sign of your coming, the disciples said to Jesus, and of the end of the age? And you will note that they associated the destruction of the temple, or an interference with the temple, with the end of the age. The reason for this was simply that in the book of Daniel, the 11th chapter, and also in the 8th chapter and the 9th chapter, they had learned that there would be trouble in the temple area in conjunction with the setting up of the kingdom of God. And so it was perfectly natural for them to say, in reaction to Jesus' statement about the temple being interfered with, it was natural for them to say, what will be the sign of your coming? In other words, Jesus, tell us what we must look for in order to prepare for the last countdown prior to the coming of the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus spoke of various trials and wars, even famines and plagues and deceptions. And then when he got to verse 14 of Matthew 24, I can almost hear his voice lowering as he gets to the focal point of the entire discourse in that verse, Matthew 24, verse 14, Jesus said, This gospel about the kingdom of God 
must be heralded among all the nations, and then the end will come. You see, the trigger for the end of the age is that final preaching of the gospel of the kingdom worldwide. Matthew 24, verse 14 is a critically important verse if we're to get our bearings. If the gospel about the kingdom has not been successfully preached around the world, and you'll have to judge whether that is so or not, then the end cannot come. Prior to God's stupendous intervention, that cataclysmic event by which he will intervene to judge the world and punish the world and set up the kingdom, rewarding the faithful, prior to that great event, he will have the gospel concerning the kingdom to come, preached, heralded among all the nations, and then the end will come. Now, that statement about the end, of course, corresponds exactly with the disciples' question in verse 3 of that same chapter, what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age, the culmination of this present evil age leading to the introduction of the new age of the kingdom of God on earth. I remind you, of course, that Jesus promised all of his followers, Jews and Gentiles alike, that they're going to inherit the earth. Matthew 5, verse 5. Following that announcement about the kingdom of God preaching to be heralded worldwide among all the nations in Matthew 24, verse 14, Jesus then said this, When you therefore see, when you therefore see, and as somebody has quipped, when we come across the word therefore in the Bible, we should always ask what it is there for. What's the purpose involved in this causal connection, therefore? Well, obviously there's a logical connection here between the final preaching of the gospel of the kingdom worldwide and the arrival of the end. When you therefore see, Jesus said, the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Matthew 24, verse 15. I note in passing that Jesus did not address Christians in America or in China or in South Africa. He said those who are in Judea, those Christians, those believers, should take to the hills or head for the hills in flight when they see this placing, this arrival, the appearance of what he called the abomination of desolation in the holy place, indicating, of course, a temple, the holy place, the place where it should not stand, Mark's version has, the holy place in Matthew, refers, of course, to a temple building which would be expected at that future time. Now, Jesus alerted us here to what he called the appearance of the abomination of desolation. Now, that is not a phrase that we can bend into any shape we please because Jesus spoke of it as the abomination of desolation referred to by Daniel the prophet. Our first task then in faithful exegesis, faithful exposition of the Bible at this point, is to follow Jesus' instructions carefully. It's Daniel's abomination that Jesus has in mind. This, of course, implies that Jesus believed that Daniel, under inspiration in the 6th century B.C., had predicted events connected with the end of the age and the arrival of Jesus to set up his kingdom. What then are we to understand by the abomination of desolation. This expression occurs three and possibly four times in the book of Daniel. In Daniel 9, verse 27, we do not have the exact expression used by Jesus, 
but there's nevertheless an obvious reference to the same event, the abomination of desolation, in which a wicked ruler, according to Daniel 9.27, carries on a desolation on the wing of abominations. There we have a close connection between abomination and desolation. This final tyrant, this final wicked ruler, is going to carry on a desolating activity on the wing of abominations. But to be quite precise, we have to turn to the other passages in which this abomination of expression appears in the book of Daniel. And for this we turn to Daniel 11 and verse 31, and its companion and explanatory verse in chapter 12, verse 11. We're focusing here on exactly those expressions which Jesus alluded to when he referred to the abomination of desolation appearing in the holy place. Matthew 24, verse 15, referring and connected to Daniel 11, verse 31, and Daniel 12, verse 11. Jesus refers us here to this extraordinary episode which is going to signal the end of the age and the appearance of God's revolutionary government on this earth, the kingdom of God. We invite you to request from us a free article on Daniel and its relationship to Matthew 24. In that article, we show you exactly how Jesus dealt with the book of Daniel in describing the events which lead up to the end of the age. You may wish also to request from us a tape of the program you've been listening to. Join us again for our continued discussion of the kingdom of God.